Welcome, fans, to another edition of the Cheap Heat Productions Wrestling Podcast. My name is Jack Kilby, Executive Vice President of Great North Wrestling. Maurice is off today, but we are pleased to welcome a man who we were just having a, a conversation before going on air, and I characterized his career as one hell of a career. That would be the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrew. Scoot, how are you today? And thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm doing well, man. I'm blessed. I can't complain. Well, we're we're going to get into um, a, a lot of uh, your accomplishments and and very notable moments throughout your tenure in the uh, pro wrestling business. But I wanted to ask you first and foremost, how did you come up with, or how were you awarded or given the the Nature Boy uh, moniker? Uh, that always starts off every interview, man. Um, <laughs> so growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm originally from, uh, I used to go to the Jacksonville Coliseum every Thursday night. And my heroes were Dusty Rose, Jack Briscoe. And as I got a little bit older, teenage years, I started to like the heels more. And I became a huge fan of, obviously, Ric Flair. Um, he's probably my favorite wrestler of all times. So when I broke into the business... Um, I wanted to be the black nature boy just because there wasn't one. <laughs> so I figured I could get away with that. And I did. Um, then it kind of morphed into just B and B as I got further along in my career. But uh, black nature boy was a shout out to Ric Flair, obviously. Just on a side note, I'm, I'm curious because uh, I definitely uh, grew up uh, a huge Ric Flair fan and the horseman and uh, all that uh, golden era of the business what what were your thoughts on his uh, quote unquote and i'm using air quotes on this one last match uh just about a year ago i i watched it and i have some definite ideas but as a fellow longtime fan of flair I'm, i'd be curious as to your opinion yeah um kudos for him being able to actually get in there and do it at his age um but you know i i don't want to ever when I think of Ric Flair, I don't ever want to think about the guy I saw wrestling that last match. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I is one of my my pet peeves, and I live by this personally. I, and you know, if I ever get to the point where I have to wear a t-shirt to wrestle, I it's probably time for me to stop. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's 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 my uh, my my dividing point. If I get to the point I have to wear a t-shirt and every promoter, I'll just tell them to stop calling because it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm too mm -hmm. bad for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it certainly was. Uh, it certainly didn't turn out, in my opinion, to uh, the the initial training videos seemed to show a little bit of promise, but then that yeah. that was yeah, that wasn't positive at all. But back to yourself, uh, can you talk about uh, your training process under the ECW original, the legendary Hack Myers, please? I can. Um, so I originally broke in uh, before I met Hack, uh, local promoter and a worker in Jacksonville. His name was Damian Lee. So he kind of got me in, um, but I didn't really take off and, and start to understand the business, the art form of the business, being able to call a match um, in the ring, if you will, until I met Hack. Uh, a lot of people don't know that Hack being the extreme shawl, they think about it as extreme stuff, going through tables, the crazy hair, 350 pound biker look, but he was an incredibly gifted wrestler he was an incredible hand in the ring um and he taught me the little things about wrestling that i had no clue about um and 
the biggest compliment I think I got from him was we did a we had a little TV thing going in Jacksonville back in uh, probably ninety nine ish, and we worked each other on TV for the show, and we basically had eight minutes and he we we decided we're not going to call anything we just call the finish and went out and basically did eight minutes to the dot had a great match and he finally told me that I was an incredible hand. So I, I figured I had arrived at that point. And that's about the point when my career started to take off as far as getting out of the state of Florida and hitting the national scene. And we'll, we'll get to that uh, in, in just a minute, but on that uh, Florida scene during that time frame, in, in my research, I saw that you, you worked a, a couple of gentlemen that we've had on uh, the great North wrestling podcast and uh, the cheap heat podcast podcast three times chris nelson oh, yeah. being one and, and barry horowitz of course yeah uh, just nelson. just wanted to know what that was like given uh you know their level of experience at that point in your your career so chris and i go way 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 back um if we have any extra time at the end i'm sure i can pull a chris nelson story out inside <laughs> and outside of the ring but uh he, he's probably one of my best friends in the business uh hack chris nelson mike sullivan Christopher Daniels um, would probably be my close group of, of really good friends. And Chris and I have, have wrestled each other. We've tagged. We've done pretty much everything together. Um, so working with him was always a night off and it was always a blast. And he always found a way to make you break character and laugh in the ring and get, you know, have to hide your face from the fans. Um, and then Barry Hardwitz was my first real experience wrestling someone I'd seen on TV growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, we wrestled in, I think it was Sanford, Florida. It, well, I forgot the name of the promotion, but they had a little, um, uh, what do you call it? A theater in like downtown Sanford, Florida. And I walked in and dude's like, you know, you're going to work very hard with tonight. And I'm like, Oh, great. Sweet. So I go over to talk to him and he goes, we're going to go 30 minutes. Just so you know, <laughs> what? <laughs> we're going to go 30. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to a draw and you know, let's see if you can keep up, kid. And we did. And matter of fact, we came back a second time and did it again for 30, 30 minutes again to another draw. So wow. it was it was one of those opportunities for me to learn while I was actually working. And again, pretty much called everything in the ring. And he was a, he was also an incredible hand. And those are two of probably my favorite matches. My wife were, was there for the second one, and she thought it was boring, but she doesn't understand the business stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the fans love it. She did not. So. Wow! Yeah, uh, what a, what a, a guy who's still active today on a limited basis, Barry. Yeah. So so good for him. In in '99, I I saw this in uh, researching your your case, your file, and you had a shot with the WWF for that uh, that whole uh, Super Astros TV yeah. show, yeah. and and you had a match against a man we're bringing into Great North Wrestling next year. Super crazy, yeah. although he was what super loco at the time. How, how did that? How did that all come together? And do you remember uh, that match in particular? I, I absolutely remember that match. Um, so it all came about because of Kevin Kelly. Um, if you remember him as uh, announced for WWE, and I guess he does New Japan now. Uh, yes. He was doing WWE stuff then, and him and Chris were super tight. And Chris was being brought in pretty periodically to do, you know, TV for WWF at the time. Um, so he heard the name Black Nature Boy and he was intrigued. So he he inquired and then we ended up at ECWA for the Super 8 at the same time. And that's where I met Kevin. And then that's when I kind of, you know, got the idea that maybe I might get a shot at um, 
a dark match or two for WWF. And then I think about four or five months later, uh, actually, no, September to, so it was June. It was in, I remember the month. That's how vivid it is. It was mm. June, 1999. And it was in the Jacksonville Coliseum where I had to go in my entire childhood to go watch Dusty and all the big names of championship wrestlers from Florida. And my first spot with the WWF was in the arena where I grew up watching wrestling. So that was pretty wow. special, which is why I remember it so vividly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also remember uh, putting our match together and super crazy, not really understanding English. So that was the first experience of me working with someone who wasn't very uh, good at the English language. So it was, it was, it was, it uh, was, it was tough putting it together, but it was a great match. It was one of my favorite matches in the WWF at the time. Um, and it was actually a dark match for Raw. But that one match ended up on uh, Super Astros just because of, you know, the super crazy and Hispanic connection to the match. So mm-hmm. it was fun. It was fun. But your first match on TV for WWF against a guy who can't speak English, it was like, yeah, can't mess anything up. <laughs> Good luck. Well, I don't I don't. I don't believe you did because uh, it looked to be a, a very, uh, very smooth uh, encounter. Yeah, it was in, fun. Super fun. in terms, in terms of that or any of your uh, other shots with the with the Fed, which we'll we'll get into, of course. Did you ever have any uh, backstage uh, interaction with uh, the chairman, Mister McMahon? Um, very brief, very brief. But if you go onto YouTube. There's a tag match for Sunday Night Heat with me and Michael Shane versus Spike Dudley and Tommy Dreamer. And we actually Tommy. did a pre-tape on that one. And the, the premise of the whole match was Michael Shane and I were tagging and we walked into the dressing room. We met Spike. And when he walked off, we kind of made fun of how small he was and we should have a job because we're bigger than he was. Tommy Dreamer comes in and tells us, uh, that's not the case. Meet us in the ring right now and find out, you know, and the match happens. But when we were doing the taping, Vince walked in and he basically <laughs> gave us all the right act because the whole promo sucked. We had to do it like three or four times. He did not leave until we got it right. And then I didn't know this. And, you know, Bubba and Devon, you know, kind of like me, I guess. So they were like hiding behind something. And when we finally got it right and we were walking off, they came out of, from behind the curtain and got in front of me like serious shoot. Who are you talking about? Someone talking about the Dudleys in here? And I'm like, oh. and Vince laughed. They laughed. Everybody laughed. So I was like, whew, thank God that worked out. But yeah, he stayed for the whole pre-tape and made sure it was immaculate. So that was my only first and only interaction with Vince directly. Had a couple with uh with Stephanie, um, just because she liked my nickname and she always would come up and go, I like your name. <laughs> and she That's told awesome. me. She did tell me I, I have a pretty good drop kick, and she actually came up mm-hmm. and told me that my drop kick should be about finish. So that was pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the only really interact- interactions I have with Vince and Stephanie. So, did you? You must have found that incredibly intimidating under under the circumstances. Oh yeah, yes, very much. What, what, was he full Mister McMahon mode, or or uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he walked in, he saw the first one, and he goes, "Cut! That sucked." <laughs> and he oh, was wow. like, you, you two need to act like you want to be here. Then he told Spike, act like you had some coffee. You guys look like you're dead. Do it over again. So we wow. did again four or five times. It was it was very intimidating. He was standing right off camera too. So we had to get it right. So pretty wow. pretty intimidating. 
Failure is not an option. Yeah. I, I also read in 2000, you were a part of that WXO promotion of yes. Ted DiBiase's. Yep. What's What was the deal with that? I always wondered. Uh, there was some TV and then it just kind of fizzled. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> yeah, it was in uh, the Lakeland. It was a Lake. Uh, it's called something. It's another name now, but it was a Lakeland Civic Center, uh, the arena in downtown Lakeland. Uh, Hack and I drove in together and I just remember all the names on the show. I mean, you had, uh, I forget, Dan Severn, you had Spivey, you had um, Enos, Mike Enos, um, Pug, um, I forgot his last name, but just drew a blank. <laughs> a lot of concussions. Um, but Porto? There was, yeah, part two. Sorry, Alex. Sorry about that, Alex. You're going to be very mad at me when you see this. Um <laughs> But there were so many names, and it was just, you know, I don't know where they got the fans from, but, you know, I walk out and the place is packed. I'm like, what the heck? This is awesome. So did a couple of matches, um, put a couple of people over, did a match with Hack, um, and in the middle of the match, Severn came out and pretty much destroyed both of us to set up an angle with someone. I forgot who it was with. Um, I, I remember that very, very vividly because he was told, um, to, you know, put me in a in a – some type of arm bar and I was told, you know, sell it like he's breaking your arm. I'm like, no problem. I'm going to do that. So he locked it on and I didn't really have to sell. It was, it was pretty snug. <laughs> I was pretty much just acting out of pain to be honest with you, but it, uh, it looked great on the copy that I actually have the copy here digitally. And I watch it every now and then, you know, just when I'm bored, but never made it to TV. So not quite sure what happened with all that footage and, and all that good. Cause it was a great production. Great, great matches. I just don't know what happened with it. Or yeah, some of it, some <laughs> of it may be floating around YouTube because I, I believe I've, I've seen uh, a few, a uh, few matches from there. But mo moving on to, uh, I first uh, became aware of your work in the Super Eight uh, tournament. Yep. And and in 2000, you were in the finals against Chris Daniels. Yes. What was that uh, tournament like as an experience? And moreover, I know you worked Daniels uh, a lot of times. Yes, and just had some barn burners. Would you would you consider that opponent to be one of your uh, best in terms of chemistry in ring? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't think him and I ever had a bad match. Even early on, when I was just starting to adapt to the northeast high spot style, because down in Florida we worked a big man style and didn't really do a whole lot of high spots. We built up to spots. Um, so the first couple matches, including the Super Eight uh, finals was me basically trying to keep up because I hadn't really worked that style before. And he made me look like a thousand, a million, two million bucks, man. It was unbelievable. And then once I started to, you know, a different type of cardio to do that kind of wrestling versus mm. the, the big man style. So once I was able to grasp that and, and, and get my cardio where it needed to be, we did have some really, really good matches. We even had a dark match for WWE that that's probably on YouTube. Um, where you know we popped the crowd pretty big and we were the first match out in orlando so it was it was every time i had a chance to work that guy it was amazing yeah what a what a talent uh, another indie standout at the time of that uh, that golden age of um you know indies in in the united states anyway was a man that you worked with uh low-key oh yeah do you, do you uh, do you have any uh, specific uh, highlights that that uh, stem from that? And 
did you, I, I could never understand why he was never picked up aside from uh, a run or two in TNA, uh, why he, he, with that, with that man's talent, how he never was picked up in one of the larger organizations. Did, did you see that, that so-called uh, attitude problem that uh, sometimes a knock on? No, I, I never saw anything like that from, from Loki. Um, and you asked, you know, memorable thing with him. And this is always one of my favorite stories. My wife and I had just met and I flew her to Delaware to watch me do a tag match. And I was tagging with Loki at the time. And it was when Kettner turned me, Jim Kettner for ECWA. This was after the Super 8, obviously, when I started to go up there regularly. And he turned me heel. So I turned on Loki and broke his leg. And my wife was in the crowd and she had really no experience with pro wrestling whatsoever. Other than once, you know, we started dating, I kind of smartened her up a little bit. Um, but she go, went on and on. I remember that night we, were, we, we stayed in Baltimore with a friend of hers and she just kept telling the story about you know, these girls, two, two seats over from were bawling because they thought I broke low key's leg for real. Um, and then that started a little feud between him and I at uh, ECWA, which culminated at the Battle of the Bob. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that. It was yep. their first actual time wrestling in the big arena at the University of Delaware. And I think we opened it, as a matter of fact. And it was that probably one of probably my other than Super 8 is probably my favorite ECWA match I'd ever had. And he sells like a million bucks. He makes everything yeah. he do look like you are super heavyweight even though i mean i'm not that much bigger than he is but he sold everything and then you kind of have to sell his the same way because he he's not stiff but his moves you feel him pretty well um his kicks his chops um i think we got into a little chop contest during our match because i'm pretty good at chops as well and i think the crowd was just freaking out because the first match was so hard hitting they were like oh my god this show's gonna be awesome but yeah, I've never seen anything as far as an attitude from from low, other than you know maybe it happened after I got out um, down the line a little bit. But at that point, you know he was he was stand up guy. Do you think his uh, his run there in the uh, original NXT and the way that they uh, portrayed him was a disservice as that Caval character kind yes. of a, a comedy act? I, yeah. I, I that was one of the things knowing his uh, you know knowing his independent work. I'm like. It just did not make sense. It didn't because every every match he's ever had on the independent circuit, he was the most serious, you know, locked in, intense kind of guy. And then they put him into a comedy role. And I'm just like, that just made no sense at all, as you said. So, yeah, they did him a disservice. I think if they'd given him a role that was closer to what he usually did, he probably would have stood out more. And he may, he may have gotten you know, I'll push after that, but that comedy crap, I don't think that was a good idea. Yeah. 100%. Uh, around this time, you started making uh, some shots for, for the fed again. I, I'm assuming that was through uh, Kevin Kelly, the jacked appearances that you made. Yes. Yep. And you worked uh, the, the uh, enigmatic Al snow oh, and essay yeah. uh, Rios at that time. And I do remember those matches. Do you have any, uh, Highlights of that in your mind and thoughts on uh, Mr. Snow. Yeah, Al Snow is an incredible worker. Um, we had a really good match. I think he might have gotten in trouble a little bit for giving me too much offense. But um, great match. Cool guy. Um, 
I think because he knew I, I was trained by hack, he knew I would, that I knew what I was doing. So he didn't really have to worry. And we just went out there and had a really good time. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then I just remember, you know, getting head at the end with the slap across the face with, with the mannequin head. And I did not realize that thing was rubber and it was going to sting so bad, but it definitely hurt. Um, a great match, man. I enjoyed it. And he sold my stuff, which kind of popped me a little bit. I was super excited about that, but I had a really good time with him as well. And then S.A. Rios was, you know, that was, I don't know if Chris told you, Chris uh, Nelson told you the story about driving to Louisiana and me being, Oh, let's hear it. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit, (laughs) but we were in, um, we were in Louisiana. I think it was, what city was Lafayette, Lafayette in the Cajun Dome where I worked him. And that was fun as well. I blew the first spot, but we covered it. I don't think you could ever ever tell. I never really worked a Lucha style before, even Mm -hmm. though I work super crazy. So the spot was, you know, a Lucha type tackle drop down spot and, you know, muscle memory. I did tackle drop down and I did not go into the Lucia thing like I was supposed to. I went into the thing I'd done a hundred thousand times, but we covered it again. Nobody really saw it. And I just remember he did a dive over the corner and he got too high and came straight down. And if I don't know if the cameras caught it, but I kind of had to throw my body <laughs> so that he didn't land on his head. Mm-hmm. And I just remember all the boys in the back saying, good job, good job. But I don't think you could really tell you know, that happened. On, I think from the angle, you couldn't really tell. So, mm-hmm. but great match as well. Had a good time with him as well. So, yeah. And speaks to your, uh, your versatility, like um, to, to be able to uh, work so many uh, different types of uh, styles. Speaking of which uh, in 2001 on the Indies, you had uh, somewhat of a barn burner in IPW against AJ styles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you did you have any idea that he was going to be the phenom that that he's turned into being still active today? Oh yeah, yeah, you could tell it early on. Um, I you know obviously you can't read the future, but the guy was so ultra talented. His mind for the business was so good. Um, the way he would go into his spots was always super creative. Um, you know, I may have stole a few things from him here or there, but everybody did that in the business back then. But he was such a talented worker. I, I knew he was going to go somewhere. But, you know, if I could have predicted he was going to be where he is now, I don't think I could have predicted that. But mm-hmm. he deserves it because he is that good. In I in knowing that you're a fan of that uh, JCP NWA era, it's interesting that you got to compete at the um, – NWA 53 anniversary uh, show in a war games match. What, what was that like for you watching the horsemen in that? And then the difference with a regular cage match. Um, so obviously again, huge horseman fan, everything they did was so good. The war games, you know, Dusty's idea was such a great concept. I just remember going to watch that. I saw it and I want to say I came to Tampa to see one of those, um, they were just so well thought out. Everything was just amazing. And then being in one, my being in a cage myself, it was pretty intimidating. Mm. <laughs> now the very first cage match I ever did was against a guy named Buck Quartermain. Um, mm. mm-hmm. If you remember that name from WCW. Yes, and then he was also in, in our little Florida circuit with Chris Nelson and myself and Mike Sullivan and all those guys. Um, and we were in Haines city, Florida. And, you know, a little back, a little backwards place near Orlando. I was a heel. He was a baby. And I just remember 
you know, first cage, I walked in and it was off in the corner. And I'm just like, man, I'm, I was nervous. I was very nervous. Never done it before. And I was going to get color for the first time. And I was super nervous about that. Hack took care of me, showed me how to do that. But I just remember, you know, we did a spot where I went to go spear him when he moved. I went through the ropes, hit my head on a cage, rolled to get my color. And no one told me that, you know, it doesn't come immediately. <laughs> so I'm just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And then all of a sudden it came and I'm like, oh my God, that was a little bit too much. Great color though. It looked good. Um, so yeah, that was the first one. And then by the time I got to the one you're talking about, you know, it was, it was, it was old hat by then. So not as nerve wracking as the first couple of times I did it. Mm -hmm. You, you also had um, in 2002 in the super J you, you had the opportunity to wrestle the American dragon, Mr. Danielson, uh, again, a, a guy who's gone on to a phenomenal career as well. Do you, do you have any, um, any thoughts on that particular match in that stage of his career? Yeah. Um, so Dragon was always like the quietest, nicest human being on the planet. And then he got in the ring and he literally kicked the hell out of you, which was, you know, I like stiff matches, so it was good. Um, we, had worked, we had actually wrestled previously in a four-way with Loki, Christopher Daniels, myself um, at ECWA. So that was really my first time working with him. And then we worked at the uh, Jersey Jacob. And I just, you know, it was one of those tournament matches where you had to put it together really quick because you, he won his first two matches. I won my first two. And then we had to throw hours together pretty quickly. But he's such a student of the game. We didn't really call a whole lot. Um, and we we're able to, you know, put on a great match because he's so good. He carried me through that match too, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I, I know you probably no doubt more than handled your end. Just, just as an aside, when we're talking about this, uh, this golden era of, uh, independent wrestling, uh, I know, I know you basically, uh, you know, did it all on, on, on the coast on this side of the, you know, the Northeast Florida, et cetera, et cetera. And you had some tenure in uh, ROH as well. What yep. was it about that? Uh, Cause we're just going through the names here. What was it about that, that particular period? Do you think that, that had such a, an independent uh, wrestling Renaissance? You know, I can't really put a finger on why it was obviously during the Attitude Era in the WWF or E or whatever. I forgot where, whether it was E or F at that point, but it was definitely Attitude Area, and WCW was still doing their thing. So, you know, you would think with the two major companies doing so well that indies would not do as well. Um, and, and I will definitely say the crowds in the Northeast were a lot larger than some of the, thing, the crowds we drew in Florida. Um, obviously, up in Georgia at Wildside, they had a very small arena, so it was a small crowd. Um but it's just something about the Northeast, man. <laughs> Those fans up there are passionate. They go to any wrestling and all wrestling. It doesn't really matter if it's good, they're going to go. So that was my, the biggest takeaway from that, that era was like Philadelphia, uh, New York city, all the way up to Connecticut. They just, if it was good, they would come and they were vocal. And if they didn't like you, you knew it. If they liked you, you'd know it. If your match was good, they'd pop. If it was bad, they would not. It was very, very, very um, crowd-driven, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but I also got a chance to go to the West Coast during that during that time frame uh, to work for Roland Alexander, who was doing the uh, King of Indies tournament, like similar to the Super 8, except I think he had 16 people in his. Um, so I got to go out there and work with those guys. 
and I worked, um, I think I worked with, who did I work with? I forgot who it was, but I did three matches. I did a tag match. Um, the great Kali was in training. So he was one of the students putting the ring together, which is pretty cool. He was this super tall string bean guy. Mm-hmm. And next mm-hmm. time I saw him on TV, he was a monster. And I'm like, holy crap. That guy, mm-hmm. he was not that size when I met him. Um, but yeah, it, it was just great to go to all these. And I always seem to be like the guy that got invited to all the tournament shows because of the Super 8, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. I got to, to work with a lot of great talents because, you know, doing three and four matches a night gives you that opportunity, even if you're only there one time. So what 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 was your experience like uh, with uh, Roland Alexander? I had the uh, pleasure of uh, oper- uh, of interviewing Mike Modest, who had uh, you know his ups and downs with with Roland. What what was your uh, experience like? I went out twice, and I have nothing bad to say. Um, everything's you know everything's the way it was supposed to be, and the production was very good. The accommodations were good, and the pay was what it was supposed to be. So yeah, I really don't have anything bad to say about Roland. In in 2002, you did a shot uh, at the fairgrounds for TNA. I yes. believe it was it was it a dark match. I believe it was. Yes. Was there was there ever any uh, consideration? Because you, you, it seems to me that you would fit in like a glove with that uh, work rate promotion at that particular time. Was there ever any thought given to to doing more with them, or how did that come about? You know, I had a decent match. The crowd liked it. Um, I'm not sure why I didn't go, ever go back or ever have another opportunity. Um, maybe just didn't have a spot open at the time. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I thought I would have fit in pretty well with those guys. And a lot of the guys that I worked with before that fit right in perfectly. So I know I would have if I'd have been given a, the opportunity. Did you, uh, aside from that initial uh, time frame, did you ever, when they were in Orlando – uh, have any interest in in going down there, or just didn't come together? No, nah, I never came together. Um, hmm. You know, Hack was actually working the door for those guys, um, checking credentials and all that. And I, and he kept inviting me to come down. And I'm just, you know, I'm weird like that. I'm if I'm not if I'm not booked, I'm not showing up because I don't want to look like that guy. <laughs> in the, in <laughs> the in the words of the uh, late great Dennis Stamp, correct? Yep. Absolutely. If you're not booked, don't show up. Don't you show up. you also had uh, some matches against uh, the Briscoes that that um, I I do recall. What what was your experience like working with with them? And and talk about um, a, a tragedy with uh, yeah, man, that one hurt. Um, I worked with them. They were super young. I want to say like seventeen and eighteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were still really good. And that's just what stuck out to me was, you know, for them to be 16, 17, 18 years old and working on Jim Kettner shows at ECWA. Um, and I think I even worked him in Georgia for a while side. So I actually saw some, I've scrolled through YouTube and saw that I ran into their match and caused them to lose. And I guess we worked each other on the next show. And I was like, Holy crap. I didn't remember. that. <laughs> so it was cool. Mm-hmm. To see that. Uh, but when I heard the news about, about what happened, man. I was I was devastated. You need you, you hear that in this business a lot because a lot of people don't make it to old age in this business, um, and it's usually self inflicted. And to hear you know the way that happened and with his family all involved, it's just, it was just so sad, man. I, that one hurt really. I cried 
on that one. I don't usually shed many tears when it comes to the boys because obviously, you know, we're all tough guys and we know what we did and some of the stuff we did may have shortened our lives and we understand that. But for that to happen the way it did, man, that was a tragedy. Yeah, especially when uh, they were a centerpiece of the uh, the new Tony Khan yeah. led uh, ROH. Yeah, I agree. One of uh, one of the favorites uh, in terms of uh, you know the Canadian fans and being Canadian myself, I uh, I noticed that you you worked uh, Val Venus on uh, <laughs> Sunday Night Heat. Oh, in yeah. two thousand three. Can, can you walk us through that experience? Yeah, that was fun. I mean, he was great, man, and. We, he he kind of pitched to the agent. We wanted to do a little comedy at the beginning where, you know, he came out and did his little spiel on the mic. Um, and as he was doing his spiel on the mic, I was actually overcompensating and laughing like crazy in between each thing that he said, which caused him to stop and look at me. And he continued on out laughing even harder. And he stopped and looked at me. And then we got to the, to the, to the start of the match and he, said gave me he said something which was the cue and i just walked over and put my hand on his shoulder i'm like man you're killing me he goes you like that really i go yeah and i punched him he took the bump and we went into the match but uh he was great he was great to work with he was fun uh we did some pretty 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 cool spots i wish i could find that's one of the, the wwe matches that i can't find anywhere i wish i could find that one because it was so much fun i think it might be on the network actually oh really Oh, yeah, if if you've looked there, I think I I do recall seeing it somewhere. Not whether it's YouTube or the network right now, but uh, okay. I'll let you know for sure. Outstanding. In two thousand three, you uh, picked up a victory in IPW against CM Punk. Yes, I I I, I didn't see if you've worked him uh, other times, but again, the same kind of question at that early stage. Uh, did you see him becoming? the absolute phenomenon that, that he was and is today? You know, um, I didn't see the phenomenon part. I knew he was great worker. Um, he was at the level of Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles in my mind, as far as the way we worked then. Um, and then we had been on shows together in Chicago for Midwest Championship Wrestling, but we never really got to work each other, but we were always on the same show. Um, but he's good. I knew he was good. And, he actually got exponentially better to the point he is now. So great guy. Um, great to be around just like Daniels and AJ and Samoa Joe and that whole little mm -hmm. click of guys that I used to work with all over the country. So yeah, he's good. What do you think about that big uh, main event upcoming, uh, you know, that has uh, old school fans such as myself excited in the, uh, the AEW product of, of him against uh, Samoa Joe for the first time. And however, yeah, um, it's going to bring, bring back a lot of ROH memories for some folks. Uh -huh. uh, it will be a great match because those guys don't typically have bad matches. Um, it'll be hard hitting. It, the fans will eat it up. I've never been over to great Britain, so I'm not sure how they receive wrestling over there, but if they're like hard hitting and, you know, telling the story, then they're going to love it. Yeah. I think, I think actually they've sold uh 75,000 for Wembley and TNA are, are about to do or doing a tour. I, uh, wrestling is from what I'm, I'm able to understand. It's too bad. Maurice wasn't here. He could comment further, but it's, it's definitely uh, on fire in, uh, in Europe right now. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing for the business, especially uh, AEW at this time. Absolutely. I, I noticed you worked in 2004, uh, a man whose career I admired a lot, and that was uh, Chris Candido. 
and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe it was full impact pro. And, and this was a comeback period for him where, uh, you know, he was, he was getting back on track and, yep. uh, you know, still a young, young man, still had a lot of gas left in the tank. What do you, what do you recall from, from that? Just how nice of a guy he was. Um, you know, you see a guy on ECW and, you know, the characters he played and you would think, you know, great looks, great ability to work. He would be a little bit cocky or, you know, a little bit of an ass. He was not whatsoever. Actually, probably one of the nicest human beings I ever met. Um, and I just remember we we had a, a, a really good match in this little, I forgot what city we were in, but it was another civic center that probably sat about 7,000. It was pretty packed. Um, and we decided we were going to go into our, our false finishes and we were going to do every finishing maneuver from the top wrestling guys in the business. So I think he hit me with Hogan's leg drop. I hit him with the rock bottom. Um, I think he gave me undertaker choke slam. Um, I forgot all of just all. Of, I, I think I gave him the stunner. We just kept, we hit every top wrestler during the period. It's finishing. And then he finally hit me with his um, to finish it off, which was awesome. But the crowd just ate it up. It was so much fun. And it was all his idea too. It was, it was awesome. That uh, blonde bombshell off the top he hit you with? Yep. Yep. What an incredible maneuver it was for for a guy yeah. who was 235, 40 pounds. Right? Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. R.I.P. In in 2018, uh, you faced Austin Theory, I guess, in Full Impact uh, Pro, a, a young man who's, uh, you know, certainly making a mark in WWE right now. What were your initial thoughts of of him and and his capability in the ring and do you see bigger do you see a world title in that man's future oh yes absolutely um i would say as young as he was because i think he was maybe 20 years old at the time um his mind for the business was that of a 35 40 year old which is crazy um i also have the i'd be remiss if i didn't tell you that you know when i got booked on that show i was told you know it was a uh, old guy versus a up and comer was pretty much every match. So I think it was called days of future past. So there was some guys from our area era, all working guys from this era. And I was told I was going to be in a tag match. And then as we got closer, it turned into, Hey, we want to put you with this, you know, the FIP champion kid and, you know, see what he's got. I'm like, how old is he again? (laughs) You know, I'm over 50 years old at this point. Um, I try to stay in great shape. And, you know, you really can't simulate the wind of a 20 year old when you go to the school and train. And, uh, you know, I, I usually go to uh, Jay Lethal School where you saw the video of Ric Flair training. So mm-hmm. that's the thing I train in. And then lately I have a new a new one with uh, Chris Silvio from NWA. Um, but just trying to get my cardio ready for that match. I mean, I was literally killing myself. I had to. There's no way I was going to get through it. But we got through it. It was fun, man. Good crowd. It was outside. It was super hot, humid. Um, but we 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 had a banger. It was fun, man. He, he's he's really good. Um, and I'll send him a message here and now, uh, every now and then on um, Twitter, and just say, you know, see if I watch one of his matches, I'll just say, man, God, you're you're killing it, kid. Keep it going, man. And he always replies back, thank you, Scoot. So, you know, he's still humble in that way, and I think he has a bright. He's got a great look. And he's got a great, he's got, he can talk and he can work. So 
there ain't many of those in the business that can do everything. And I think he's one of them. Yeah, that's a that's a hats off to you. That's an interesting concept about one generation uh, facing the other, especially uh, you know someone as athletic as uh, Mister Theory is. But I this kind of dovetails into the next question, which was how how is it? And you're still active today, and uh, and obviously keep you know in in tremendous physical condition, etc. But how is it that uh, with the toll on the body that uh, a career of your tenure and especially that that amazing uh that renaissance indie style if you will that, that you worked a lot yeah how, how how is it that you've been able to uh you know keep going but not only keep going but keep going at a at a, at a high level um i think it's basically because i don't do it very often <laughs> <laughs> so there's long stretches in between for my body to recuperate. Um, I think the next time I wrestled after Austin Theory was probably a year later. Um, and then recently, last year, I did two shows for Expect the Unexpected ETU Wrestling up in uh, New Jersey. That's tied closely to the No Holds Barred uh, Deathmatch um, promotion. Um, but I went up there, I think, in July and September – so that was the first time I really worked in, you know, two or three month increments. Um, but the body is holding up just because I, uh, I don't do it very often. And when I'm not getting ready for a show, I don't really go to the ring at all. I mean, I train, uh, I do F45. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, I lift, I also coach high school football. So I run around the field like a maniac. <laughs> I try to run sprints with the kids as much as possible, but I think I'm getting to the age now where sprints are going to cause something to pop. So I'm not going to keep that up, but yeah, you know, typically if I get a call from someone and it's a match I, I want to get into, if it's an opponent, I want to work. Um, I usually start training probably four months out and I'll go to the ring three or four months, three or four days a week. I will up the intensity at F45 where I work out sometimes doing two classes a day. Um, and that seems to work very well as far as the cardio part goes. Um, the two I did up in Jersey on September and July had no cardio issues whatsoever. I was super excited about that. So when you hit 55, man, you just never know what's going to happen when you, when you start the match. <laughs> so oh, here I am now at 56 and I got a call from uh, XPW. I think uh, I'm thinking about doing that one. And then I got a, a November shot for Chris, Nelson and his tag team partner Vito. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's a for high school, but uh, Vito and I are both high school football coaches. And if we make the playoffs, then I'm probably going to have to do one after November, but mm -hmm. we'll see. I think the XPW show is October and that was, that's going to be November. Um, I haven't heard back if they still want to do, it. I think they're trying to find an opponent. Um, so we'll see if it's somebody that's that I would like to work. Well, it sounds like you've got a, a good formula, but before we uh, wrap it up and uh, you've been so generous with your time today, I'd be remiss to not uh, circle back and ask you if you want to to talk about that Chris Nelson story. <laughs> Man, you know, I got so many of them, um, but that one instance we were driving, it was Mike Sullivan. Uh, I'm not sure if you, you know Mike Sullivan. Yeah, Mike yes, Sullivan and I were a tag team down here called naturally marvelous um he's now a fighter fighter firefighter here him and chris and i drove to lafayette from tampa so all the way i-10 from 
you know, right, right before Tallahassee. And then you head out and it's like eight hours and nothing but I-10. And if you've ever been on I-10, it's pretty freaking boring. Um, so we, we pulled over and it was back in the days when you could pull over and just, you know, go potty on the side of the road. Nobody thought, thought two things of it. So I get, I get out and we're all going and I'm still going and they jump in the car and they crank the car and Chris yells out, watch out for that gator. <laughs> As I am trying to finish, I am running next to the car so no one from the road can see me while I go. And the car is going about five miles an hour. I'm running five miles an hour trying to finish and zip my pants up and get in the car. And I'm screaming, get in, stop for this damn crocodile gets me. Now, I don't know why I said crocodile. But anyway, in a long story short. You know, I finally got my pants zipped up. I jumped in the car, shut the door. We got back on the road. And he had, you know, thank God we did not have iPhones back then because that would have been videotaped and <laughs> they would have video evidence of how that unfolded. But, you know, just Chris is probably one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's giving you insight into his Jerry Springer shows that he's done. We actually did one together and that was off the charts. It was ridiculously fun. <laughs> So, yeah, as, Chris and I have as security or what was your role? No, I was no. actually the main character in this segment, and we had found this young lady who was a Hooters girl in Lakeland, and she was playing my girlfriend at the time. And Chris was her number one client, and he told her that she come clean to me because he was in love with her too, and he was going to tell me if she didn't. So we did it on the show, and she told me, and it was all out. Ding, ding. Yo, man, it was <laughs> two workers having a blast. It was unbelievable. Um, we we're supposed to go four segments that show, and I think it was so good, and the crowd was so into it, we actually bumped two other segments off the show. I think we went eight segments instead of the four. We were a lot. Wow. Of, I remember looking over, and the producer was like, keep it going, keep it going. And then we did. Wow. We did. It was so crazy. And then two years later, I think I saw the producer in Chicago when I was there for business. And she told me that they got 15,000 letters um, from women going, you don't need her. <laughs> well, I'll take it. So clearly it was a great show. If I'm getting fan mail, it had to be fun. But he went on some other shows after mine. You know, he did some crazy things that I would not have done. But Chris, Chris is that guy. If you want to have fun, he is that guy. Yeah, we're we've we've interviewed him here on Cheap Heat three times. We're going to bring him back for a fourth. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, def, definitely a, a a gold mine of content. But Scoop, before before we wrap it up, uh, do you have any uh, way that fans can find you on social media? And do you have any appearances? I know you touched on a couple of them, or anything else that the fans need to know about uh, yourself. So for social media, I'm only on Twitter for wrestling. I keep Facebook and uh, Instagram for my personal life. But the Twitter is at BNB, Scoot Andrews. Um, and all my wrestling stuff is there. If you want to purchase the Scoot Andrews t-shirt, there is a link there as well. Um, newly uh, created Scoot Andrews t-shirt. So it has this look, not the look of the Scoot Andrews you saw with hair from 20 years ago. Um, so that is my social media. And again, you know, I don't have final dates or for SBW or the other show that I mentioned. Um, but you can find me on Twitter, but I would also be remiss if I didn't bring up a, a old, uh, classic wrestler here in the state of Florida who I look up to because he has one of the best punches in the business. And he's probably the biggest evil Knievel fan on the planet. 
but that would be Bob Cook from the 70s and 80s. Um, yep. I see Bob at a legend lunches here. He was actually at the match with Austin Theory. Um, it's always good to see the cooker, and I just want to make sure I give him a shout out while I'm on air. So awesome. Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, I have an interview booked with uh, Bob after CAC in September. So yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Well, I really appreciate your time, uh, Scoot. We'll keep in touch and uh, keep the fans advised uh, when you nail those uh, appearances down and uh, very much appreciate your time. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time. And uh, it's great to be, be still around. And it's also great that people actually want to talk to me. So <laughs> I'm here if you ever need me to as well. Definitely. We'll definitely do a part two in the future, but fans, that's it for today's edition of the cheap heat productions wrestling podcast. We will see you next time.